Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Alice Figueroa, a registered dietitian who created her own path into dietetics by combining her passion for public health, policy, and nutrition. Alice and I were connected through my previous podcast guest, you might know her, Nicole Rodriguez, because they did their internship together, and I'm so glad she connected us. Alice is one of those dietitians we all should get to know because of her deeply rooted passion for health advocacy, both here in the United States and globally. She is from Guatemala and trips with her family early in life opened her eyes to many faults in basic human rights like food and clean water. Alice shares many of her experiences so far, insights on how policy affects all dietitians and the current projects she is working on going back to her family roots. This truly is a conversation you must make time for. Please enjoy my conversation with Alice. Uh, Nicole, well, Nicole Rodriguez actually kind of introduced, she's like, you've got to have Alice on. She's awesome. And I think you two actually work together or were you interns together? Yes, I love Nicole. She's really a very kind person. And we actually go back to our dietetic internship. Uh, Okay. we, We did our dietetic internship together at Queens College. Um, through the through the city university of new york system so we were really good friends there and we cheered each other on and supported each other through a very challenging (laughs) dietetic internship so we just became (laughs) lifelong friends i think so oh that's wonderful i'm glad we connected that way i think it's awesome to hear your cheerleader your dietitian cheerleaders in life you know, tooting your your horn for you and saying you need to interview this person because they're awesome. Uh, yes, she's very supportive and, and she's awesome too in her work. So yeah, we're always cheering for each other. <laughs> perfect. perfect. Yes. Well, I'm excited to learn kind of more about you and your journey into dietetics. And I, I did know that you won an award recently. So I would love for you to talk about that at, at some point. And um, yeah, so let's kind of just go back to when you kind of got dietetics on your radar. How did you become interested in the field? Yes, well, actually, I became passionate about human rights and health from a very early age. And it all started with trips to Latin America. My, my family is from Guatemala. So we went back to, to visit family or just to for vacation and we traveled mostly to Guatemala and Mexico and having the opportunity to travel to Latin America really opened up my eyes to to a different world and from a very young age I remember you know going into the cities in, in Latin America and walking through the markets or the city centers and noticing children that were selling pencils or shoe shining. And you even, you know, see some children that are sniffing glue, actually, which is, you know, very 
very strong image to see at an early age, but you see it on the streets. And this really opened up my eyes to the suffering of others and other children. And I would ask my parents, oh, you know, why are these kids all alone on the street? Why are they selling, um, you know, candy or pencils or shoe shining? And, you know, they would explain to me that there were a lot of families that just didn't have enough money to purchase food or they didn't have enough money to send their kids to school. So they send them out to work. And that really inspired me from a very early age to become passionate about learning about health and human rights. And, you know, when I had these experiences, I was very young. I was maybe five or six. And so then I knew that I wanted to grow up to be someone who served people. And I, I didn't know what that really meant when I was young, but I had these, you know, dreams of working for the United Nations or, you know, working for a government agency and and, um, being able to help all these children. So it kind of started very early on. I think that's amazing that you, I mean, just found that fire in your kind of soul for helping others at such a young age. Thank you. Yes. And I think I have uh, my family to think for that because they were always, um, they always emphasize the importance of learning about uh, other people in our communities. And, you know, they made sure that we understood that we were very privileged and very blessed to have food at, at our table, to be able to go to school, to do all these things. Um, because so many, so many people around the world don't have access to, to food or to clean water and to education. And even here in the U.S., it happens every day, every hour, and we just don't realize it. So my inspiration to be interested in health and human rights stem from, from my early life experiences and also from what I learned from my family. And I, and just like you brought up the point that you don't have to go to other countries to experience that. It's happening, like you said, here in the United States. And we, we do kind of forget about that, I think, sometimes. I think a lot of us dietitians kind of forget about that, especially. Yes, it's, you know, it's something that we need to keep in mind. There's, there's hunger in, in all communities, whether it's urban or rural. And it affects people of all walks of life, of all religions, of all races. And I think that's what our social and political discourse should be focused on, on how do we unite to address those issues that are so prevalent in our society. And And that's... And I was saying that we kind of think are basic that everyone has and that that's just like a basic right that I think just like clean water, it just amazes me like how that is not just a basic right that we have living in the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, you know, I, I grew up in New Orleans and in New Orleans, every couple of months we have a water advisory where you're not allowed to drink tap water unless you boil it. And this is one of the major urban centers and one of the most beloved cities in the U.S. and we still struggle with having access to clean water every day and that speaks a lot of of all the work that remains to be done when it comes to public health, when it comes to sanitation and nutrition 
not just abroad, but here at home. And I think uh, to be a really empowered dietitian and someone who worked in the health industry, we all need to become aware of these issues that are going on in our communities so that we can become advocates. Since we do have a science background and we are the authority when it comes to food safety and nutrition and also health, I think it's really important for RDs to become well-rounded and learn about the needs of, of our communities. I, I love that. You know, and I, I will say I'm guilty because I live, you know, I live in Iowa and, you know, Iowa is mm-hmm. the most crazy diverse state in the United States. But as, as I started kind of working more in like public um, or public school system, mm-hmm. I kind of took for granted all those things and how there were children affected by, you know, clean water and food access. And, and I, just was like, well, I live in Iowa. Everybody eats great, right? Because we have food everywhere. We have water everywhere. And I will say I've been guilty of taking that for granted. So I, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that a little bit more and make us more aware of those things. Yes, thank you. And I think that's that's what brought me to nutrition, just wanting to uh, advocate for access to basic human rights and services. And I think that's what nutrition is all about. And like you said, we might all come from um, come to, to nutrition for different reasons. Maybe it's because we're interested in wellness or chronic diseases or child nutrition or nutrition in schools, or maybe we're interested in malnutrition and stunting globally or internationally. It doesn't matter really where you're coming from or or maybe you're a sports dietitian, but at the end of the day, we're all looking to improve the health of, of people, of our communities, of our population. So at the end of the day, we're all working towards a common goal, I think. Absolutely. So how did you kind of navigate then the field? So thinking that you wanted to help people as, as a young girl. How, when did it kind of start coming to fruition for you that maybe dietetics was going to be the way for you to do that? That's a great question, Anne. And I actually, when I went on to, to college, I really couldn't make up my mind about what I wanted to study. I am someone that has many interests. And I knew that I wanted to go into a field in, the, in human rights or health. So... As I got older, I was torn between working in human rights or law or health policy or working in the medical field. So I decided to pursue a degree in international uh, politics and international relations. And at the same time, I decided to take all the science courses that you would need to go on and get a, a science degree because I, I wanted to be a well-rounded professional. So I actually completed my studies in international relations and politics. And I did my undergrad also uh, taking all the you know science classes that you need uh, for pre-med or to become an RD or to become a nurse because I, I wasn't sure how I envisioned my career in the future. And ultimately I decided to pursue 
a degree in international and community public health because I felt that that would allow me to have a science background and to combine that with policy and international relations and politics. So I, I kind of created a hybrid of interest. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, so that I could actually pursue what I was interested in. And, you know, I am a firm believer that nutrition and health are a political issue or is a political issue. And I don't mean it in something that, you know, you have to be a Republican or you have to be mm -hmm. a Democrat or any any of that. But I mean um, that we should all be invested in finding ways to support policies that promote nutrition and improve nutrition access for all segments of the population. And it, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're more conservative or more liberal. What really matters is how um, we work together to find ways to fund programs that promote early childhood nutrition that fund programs that promote healthy school um, healthy school lunches that allow people to access preventative care so that we don't have these massive rates of, of um, chronic diseases so so for me early on I wanted to be able to to create a career where I could talk about policy and talk talk about it in a way that we could all understand how policy affects our health, and um, that, that's why I went on to to study international and community health. And while I was studying for my master's in public health, I actually took this amazing class that uh, looked at a public health through the lens of film. And she focused a lot on clean water access and the, the professor who taught the class focused a lot on access to clean water, on um, different nutrition documentaries. And then once I started seeing more of the effects that nutrition had on public health overall, I decided to... Uh, pursue a double degree and uh, and also pursue a dietetics degree along with a master's in public health. And that's how I ended up becoming a registered dietitian. And it wasn't something that I had planned. My idea was to work mostly in health policy. But uh, the more I studied public health, the more I realized that nutrition affected every single aspect of public health and whether it's chronic diseases like diabetes or heart disease or whether you're talking about HIV positive mothers or stunted children in uh, Africa or Latin America, it all goes back to nutrition and access to food and the quality of food that people are getting on their tables. So for me, it became evident that I needed to become an expert in nutrition so that I could be a good health advocate so that I could really talk about how food can bring about positive health changes in the population in the global population actually 
Oh my God. I just think about all the schooling you've done. Just, I mean, you think about dietetics alone and then you added on your international public, is it international public health or what was international? Yes, it's, it was a master's in public health with a, with a concentration in international and community health. Okay. So it's a mouthful. That <laughs> is. Oh my goodness. Yes. Did you, um, I mean, like when you think about internet, like international, I'm sure was covering, you know, United States, but then also globally. So did you ever like go and experience, like have hands on work in the field internationally? I did. The program that I, that I, where I uh, studied my public health degree allowed me to travel actually. So I took the opportunity to do that. I went to uh, New York University and they actually have a great program where you can work in South Africa. So y- you do an internship for a summer there and you actually get to take classes at the University of Cape Town. And that was a great opportunity for me because it allowed me to get hands-on experience in the field from from early on in my career. And it also allowed me to uh, take classes in a university abroad that had a different approach to education and who had also uh, worked within the South African community. And that was very refreshing um, to be able to get a, a different perspective uh, from the professors who, who were educated and lived and did all their research in South Africa. And uh, while I was in South Africa, I got to work at this very small but powerful community-based organization called Itifani, where um, um, they provide support for HIV-positive mothers and their children and families who are affected by HIV. And this uh, nonprofit is located in a township called Nyanga, and it's it's the biggest or one of the biggest townships in in Cape Town and in South Africa, actually. And uh, in some parts of of uh, of this of this township, you have um, rates of HIV that are over fifty percent. So, oh, wow. so it, it was it was a really moving experience, both personally and professionally. And I got to work with an amazing team of of doctors and community health workers and dietitians and nutrition assistants that work every day in the community uh, providing they provide breakfast for for children they provide lunches for children and they also provide empowerment seminars and courses and certificates for young adults and they also provide nutrition counseling for HIV positive mothers um, so that, you know, they, they, um, they're well educated on how to take their antiretroviral medications so that they can safely breastfeed. So it, it, it was, you know, one of my 
favorite experiences as a professional. And I, amazing. I always say that I left my heart in South Africa because it, it was, you know, I learned so much there. And I really encourage any registered dietitian out there that is interested to seek out opportunities where, where you can, you know, even if, if you can't pick up and go and travel there and stay there for several months, uh, even if it's um, when you go on vacation or something like that, you can always reach out to an organization and say, hey, you know, would it be possible for me to set up a visit so that I can learn more about your program? And a lot of these smaller community-based organizations are really eager to do that because they want people to see the work they're doing. And they want to have people who will talk about their work abroad. And and I think, um, you know, or even here in the U.S., there's so many programs that that do wonderful work. And it's it's I think it's good to be informed and to get the chance to visit uh, some of these programs. Yeah, make it part of your make it part of your vacation. I mean, yeah. take some time out of your your travels to see other parts of the communities that you're visiting. Exactly. So after you so bravely did all of this schooling, and obviously you did your internship, um, and you passed. So congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> What was kind of what did you envision as the next steps for yourself? And did that kind of did that and how you envisioned it? Did it happen for you? Well, I will say something. I think being a dietitian and finishing your registered or your DI is is challenging. Sometimes when you finish your your dietetic internship, you, you don't know what's next and you don't have an idea of where you'll go. And and to be honest, there aren't a lot of positions that are, are available for registered dietitians internationally. So it, it, at first it was intimidating. I wasn't sure whether I should pursue something more on the policy or public health side or if I should pursue something um, that focus more on the nutrition aspect of my of my career, and so to be honest, I, I was a bit lost. Um, but I decided to work with the population that I had served before. So I had the, the privilege of working with HIV positive individuals in the Bronx and the Harlem and Harlem, and I was able to. Um, provide services at a community-based level that included things like uh, healthy cooking classes and field trips to the farmer's market and um, nutrition education and counseling and support. And that's the, the next step I took after completing my dietetic internship. And I truly loved it. It was it was a wonderful experience to get to work in the Bronx in Harlem. And I learned a lot from the community and the clients were amazing and inspiring. And the community I serve was mostly uh, people who were uh, or who had previous uh, drug abuse 
issues or mm-hmm. who were recovering from a drug from drug abuse. So it it really allowed me to learn about how to support individuals who have specialized medical needs and who have specialized motivational needs also to keep engaged. And, and I also got the chance to work with people from the LGBTQ community. And I found that to be very, uh, you know, eye opening for me and it allowed me to really see, um, and learn about the needs of a community that I hadn't necessarily worked with before. And I truly enjoyed it and learned so much from it. It sounds like a very, you know, when you think about your like your internship and you think about your education, like those are things you don't feel like, did you feel like you were prepared for them or did you feel like it was something that it was like all in, I'm just going to kind of go with it and just see how it goes or how did you prepare for, because, you know, we don't get that in our internship. We don't get that in school, you know, dealing with people that are recovering from, you know, addiction and different community like the LGBT community. So how do you prepare for things like that? It, It was a challenge in a way, because like you said, we usually don't get that experience during our dietetic internship. And if we do, maybe it's in passing. I, I always knew that I wanted to work with the HIV positive community because I enjoyed it so much in, in my work in South Africa. So when I was doing my dietetic internship, I made sure to tell my preceptor that I wanted a rotation that had a specialty on infectious diseases. So I was actually privileged enough to finish my clinical or medical nutrition therapy rotation at uh, one of the last HIV uh, and AIDS uh, nursing homes in New York City. And since then, it's closed, actually. But uh, I actually got to work with patients that were uh, uh, that that were living in this in this facility, and to serve them there. And many of them did have a previous history of, of drug use. So I I did actually get to to learn how to work with the this population and to um, tailor nutrition counseling for this population in my dietetic internship. So I naturally fell into this position once I completed my, my dietetic internship. I think that's awesome that you requested that too, because I think we need to be proactive. Like if you have an interest, you need to like request maybe an experience. Exactly. It's about, you know, sometimes we're afraid to advocate for ourselves and I think it's it's good to be able to go and talk to someone and say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Are you open to it? And you never mm-hmm. know. Maybe they'll say no. And that's okay. At least you yeah. tried. And then you you never know. Something good can come of it. So just asking. Absolutely. Yes. That, I wish I would have did that. That's one thing I wish I would have been a little bit. But I, I don't think I was educated enough to know what I should be asking for. 
And now I do, but now I'm like, oh man, I should have asked for more things. <laughs> it's never too late, I think. That's and true. Especially for RDs, you know, we always have to do continuing education. And if you have a passion for something, even if it's something that is outside of your comfort zone, the best thing to do is to go for it. And, uh, I think there's a lot of hesitation about that. And maybe a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome where we feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, I don't know enough about this. I'm interested in it, but I'm afraid to pursue it. But it's best to just jump in. I I think at least that's that's my approach to things. And I'm gonna channel my inner Alice <laughs> a little bit more and and do take some risks that way. And I think I I think it's a very good point. Like as dietitians, we kind of get in our comfort zone and we kind of just do our our thing and get our CEUs as we need to. But why not branch out and maybe just do a little bit more with things that interest you and not be scared to do it. Exactly. So you were, so how long did you work with, um, in the Bronx with the, with the AIDS population? I worked there for about a year and a half. And, mm-hmm. and after that, I actually decided to, to leave my job. Like I said, it was, it was very rewarding and I loved the clients there. But to be honest, and this is something that our DC to talk about, uh, the the work environment wasn't the greatest due to the management, and I, I felt uh, burned out, actually. I was very tired. I had a really long commute, almost, you know, three hours. Once you, once oh. you take into account the, you know, going, the commuting to work and back, it was almost three hours, and I, I was working very hard, and I wasn't really recognized for, for my work, not by my clients. My clients and I love each other and, and we still keep in touch, but it was mostly about the organization of the nonprofit. And I think a lot of dietitians struggle with that, that work in community health settings. And, and I decided to take some time off and actually travel. So I, I, I went to India and Thailand and just traveled and, and it was, you know, a really amazing experience to be able to do that, to be able to put, put my um, career on hold. And it wasn't for, for that long. It was just for three months. And I decided to go and, and learn more about Asia. And I had never had the chance to travel there. So I, I took, you know, the risk and, and, and bought a, a one-way ticket to, to wow. India. And then, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I traveled through India. My interest in traveling to India was because I practice yoga and I wanted to learn more about yoga from the source. And I also wanted to learn Ayurveda because I was interested in incorporating other holistic practices into my dietetics practice. And, and then I decided to go to Thailand because I wanted to go somewhere beautiful. And it was really refreshing to take those few months off to, to travel and to learn about uh, different healing modalities 
and to explore India and Thailand. And I had the opportunity to visit an ashram, which is a sort of uh, like a monastery where uh, uh, yogis um, practice. And it, it was very great to see how, how uh, people lead different lives and have a different lifestyle and have a different pace of life after you know living in new york and uh, completing my education in new york and doing my dietetic internship in new york it was all go 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 and i was always on a train or running somewhere for a good you know four or five years or even more so it was great to, to have that change in pace it sounds like you needed it though. Like you kind of needed it to figure out what the next step was for you because you were just so burned out. And I like that you mentioned um, just about the community management, like management of positions in community nutrition or in community, you know, nonprofits that maybe we do need to talk more about that, that you don't have to stay in those situations if it's not helping you or not a good environment. Yes, it's, it is something to talk about. And I don't think it's just registered dietitians who go through this. I also see that um, social workers also oh, sure. get burnt out a lot. And it's a mixture of things. It's, you know, first of all, salary usually isn't too, too great. And there isn't a lot of room for growth in these positions. And there isn't enough support for uh, career development within these positions, meaning, you know, perhaps they don't cover uh, your, your continuing education or they don't support you in taking time off to do seminars or to go on conferences, things like that. So they can really strain a health professional. I believe that in order for our health system to be improved, we also need to take care of health workers. So uh, that, you know, that's something that all dietitians need to, to talk about and to find ways in which we can promote our career and our expertise and set ourselves within the health market as the go-to you know, experts in, in nutrition. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, we need to work on as a community of RD so that our work is valued more and so that we get uh, the treatment that we deserve as professionals. I 100% agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I, and I, you know, when you think about um, just the strain that being a healthcare provider is on, most of us, we don't really realize it until like you're in the situation that you are, you know, you were mm -hmm. like muting and trying to be a great provider and trying to help the community, but then not, not getting the value back that you were hoping for or feeling some of that value. Exactly. And I think it, it's not just benefits or monetary, uh, you know, uh, that that affect you it's also the work environment and feeling appreciated and having a good communication with with management or with the kitchen staff even things like that can really uh, affect 
how you perform in a job and whether you'll burn out or not in the long term. That's very true. So where did you, so after you had your, your sabbatical away, how, what was the kind of next steps for you? Well, when I decided to, to come back from Asia, I, I still wanted to work in nutrition and mostly to focus on international public health and nutrition. So I uh, decided to find jobs that I felt would allow me to work internationally and that would allow me to be able to pursue the things that I've always been passionate about. So I, I purposely decided not to get a, a hospital job or another community-based job because I felt that that wouldn't allow me to have the opportunity to to be as creative as I wanted to be and to mm-hmm. build a career that I would be happy with 20 years from now, let's say. So I began to work for uh, a startup that focused on creating digital diabetes prevention programs. Mm. And the startup has actually successfully expanded into Latin America and Hong Kong. And in my role with them, what I did was to uh, help create the Latin American program. So my role was basically to take the National Diabetes Prevention uh, curriculum that was developed by the CDC and to translate it and make it culturally adapt for uh, Latin America. And that that was, you know, the bulk of the work I did. And, and I was in charge of working with different clients to bring the product to Guatemala, specifically, actually. And, and I was also in charge of looking for and hiring the staff that was set in place in Guatemala. So uh, the program actually did really great and, and um, they were able to deliver the, one of the first digital diabetes prevention programs in Latin America and the first one in Guatemala, actually. Wow. so that was great. It was a great experience to be able to do that, to have the opportunity to work on product development in the tech industry. And that's a growing field that dietitians need to become more informed about, that there are opportunities out there if you're interested in working in a startup or if you're interested in working in technology there are some opportunities where you can merge those interests and and it was it was great to be able to to learn about how to uh, merge tech with health because i think that's where the future is i think you're right too but i would have never like that's not just something that you find on Indeed, you know, <laughs> or did you? Maybe you did. I, like, I did actually. Did I saw a posting for it, and initially, when I started working with them, they wanted a diabetes lifestyle 
prevention, a, a pre-diabetes um, lifestyle coach. Oh. That's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I applied for that position because I do, um, I am certified as a pre-diabetes prevention lifestyle coach. And then since it was a startup, and that's the thing about startups, they, they hire you to do one thing, but soon enough, they ask you, well, I see that you have an expertise in public health. Do you mind doing some program development for me? Or do you mind writing some articles for me? And before you know it, you know, the, the role, the role I had in this company really grew and expanded. And it was within a few months, actually, that wow. all this happened. So sometimes you, you don't know uh, what opportunities there are. And if there's a job that meets most of your requirements or fulfills most of your, you know, desired qualities in a job, I think it's, it's worth a shot. You never know what will come from it. That's so true. Well, that's good to know that those kind of things do, you know, because I don't think people are probably, I still think we're, there's still that disconnect with diet, dietitians and looking outside of the standard traditional jobs and trying to find more other outlets. Yes, it's, it's about being proactive. I think, you know, for me, a lot of people say that networking will get you work. But to be honest, I've never gotten a position that I've worked in through networking. And that's interesting because a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, all the positions that I've I've had have been because of connections. For me, it's been the opposite. I've actually just found a job posting and written a letter and personalized a resume and I sent it out, actually. And that's how things have worked out for me. So. So if you're one of those people out there that may not have a lot of connections or might not know a lot of influential people, that's okay. You can still make a career for yourself. You might just need to work a little harder, and uh, but it, it's possible for you to do it, actually. And that's I... A good message, too. Hmm? That's, a really, that's a good message, too, yeah. that that you're sharing because again like not not everybody does have connections and you could be the start of making connections it doesn't have to you can create those connections exactly you can create those connections for me i i didn't have any connections out of school and i just reached out to people and and sometimes they'll answer you and sometimes they won't, but it can't hurt to reach out to people. And like I said, you never know what will come from you being proactive. So you don't have to feel like you're not influential enough or you don't have enough connections to be able to build a career for yourself. So after, so how long was the creation of the diabetes prevention program around a year and a half or two years. And, and shortly after that, I started working on a project with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Foundation and the Duke Center for International Development. And in my role with, with the Academy Foundation, I, I, 
was asked to create a mapping of malnutrition services in Guatemala and to conduct a scoping review of all the nutrition services in the region, specifically uh, nutrition services that target malnutrition and stunting in children five years of age or younger. And that's been my main focus for the last year and a half. Oh my, now how did you come across this, this experience? It actually was just through the, the listserv at the academy and they posted that they had this opportunity in, in Guatemala. And, you know, like, like I shared with you earlier, my family is from Guatemala mm-hmm. and I always had a connection to Guatemala. And that's where I first became inspired to work in health and human rights. So when I saw the posting, I thought, whoa, this job was made for me. <laughs> so I have to apply. And I showed it to my family and everyone was like, yeah, they wrote this position thinking of you. Of you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just filled out the application and I wrote this very personal letter and I told them about my early experiences and how that had shaped my passion for health and how I felt that my experience and along with, with my passion for, for nutrition advocacy made me perfect for this role. And I, I sent out the application and I followed up with, with the people that were, you know, screening the applicants. I sent them a personal email and, you know, it was a very rigorous process to, to get the fellowship. And I did have to interview with probably five or six people. I can't remember. Wow. So, I, so uh, but, but it all ended up working out and I've been working on this project and it's been very rewarding. I've learned so much about research, about advocacy, advocacy about working with political leaders. Uh, Basically, the project, what we did was to partner with local nonprofits in Guatemala working in childhood malnutrition and to partner with the government because they actually have uh, an office, a government office that is dedicated to, uh, you know, preventing and to improving malnutrition rates in Guatemala. Guatemala has the highest stunting rates in in the Western Hemisphere. Really? It actually has, yes, and that's something that a lot of people don't know about. It has worse stunting rates than, than Haiti, which has suffered devastating natural disasters. But at Guatemala, even though they haven't had um, as many natural disasters as as Haiti has the worst stunting rates. And, you know, the stunting rates are comparable to the stunting rates of countries that are uh, in active wars like Yemen and Syria. So it's, it's a very serious issue. And the thing is that, you know, Guatemala is literally you know, a two, three hour plane ride from, from New Orleans or from Miami. So if we're really close, we're, we're, um, you know, the Mexico is the only thing that separates us. And I think 
you know, a lot of people are not aware of what's going on in Guatemala and, and, you know, how poverty and lack of access to food drives migration to the U.S. Um, for Guatemalan immigrants. And I think that's something that, that we should talk about. And perhaps if people become more aware of that, that can actually help people um, become more kind and more um, empathetic towards, towards people who are migrating to the U.S., especially, you know, when you, when you talk about it in our current political atmosphere, you hear out there, you know, a lot of anti-immigrant messages. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not something that is black or white, you know, it, it, that it's not something that um, should divide people saying, you know, I, I support immigrants or I don't want immigrants here. It's a very complicated issue that is rooted in, in, um, a, in very complicated uh, political aspects. And, and when you look back at the history of Latin America, uh, many of the issues regarding poverty and malnutrition stem back to political instability in these countries. And if you study this, you, you, you learn that a lot of the political instability in Latin America was actually mediated by the, the U.S. and its interference in democratic elections during the 50s in Latin America. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a very complicated issue. And I think um, dietitians have a role to play in it because we understand malnutrition and stunting and lack of access to food. And I think if we, we, we become aware of what are the issues that are affecting Latin America and, and how these issues are fueling migration here, then we can actually help uh, ad, um, advise policies that are both um, sustainable and that are, um, and that protect people's basic human rights. And I think that's, that's a role that, that dieticians have that hasn't been developed yet. And, I, and I'm excited to see more dietitians become more active in that in that way in the political uh, sphere. I think. Well, I feel I feel like you might have a big component of this creation of helping dietitians become more interested in it because yeah. you are so vested in a component of nutrition that probably not of none of us are probably thinking of it very much and very often. And that's why I love your passion for it because you're educating me. So I know you're going to educate tons of other people as well and get them interested. Thank you. And yes, and I hope people do become interested in it. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a foreign issue or something related to a foreign country, but it can be about local issues too. And for me, um, I think. And obviously everyone's free to do as, as they wish. But for me, I always think that when people say, oh, well, this is nutrition. This is not something political. I always say, well, I'm not saying that you have to be, 
um, have any divisive or divisive views on on anything. I'm just saying that we have to acknowledge that policies do affect nutrition and they affect everyone. It doesn't mean that it just affects people abroad, but it also affects people at home. It affects our child nutrition programs. It affects our school lunches. It affects farmers. It affects uh, the food labels that are put in our food that we purchase every day. So for us to not connect those two things, I think is a disservice to our profession and to our clients because they are connected. And uh, I just like to to bring that up so that people become aware of it and so that dietitians can start really uh, becoming leaders in this field of, of food policy and nutrition policy. I love your passion so much. I think it's, it's amazing. It's refreshing. It's like getting me thinking more about my role as well oh. as a dietitian. Oh, thank you. And I think with you, your work in school nutrition is so important because, you know, you, you know this, but basically every, everything that we serve to our kids in school is mandated by a policy or a regulation or by a contract that the school district has with a food distributor. And all that comes from, from food and nutrition policies. So even even if you don't work in the policy, policy sector, even if you work at a hospital or at a school or or in a community program, it all it all all the funding and all the policies that are in place stem from from laws and regulations and food and nutrition policies that are set in place. And that's why I think we really need to be active about talking about these issues and making sure that as dietitians we're well versed on on policies that affect food and nutrition and human rights and i I think that's a very important thing for us to do so you do i will put you on the spot so you need to tell me about this award you just recently received um that from is it food minds or food mind that you Yes, thank you. I recently received an upward, so it's up, upward RD. The RD is in bold, but <laughs> upward um, Food Minds Award, and it's an award for a young dietitian that is making a difference in the community and that is shaping the the, the nutrition media. Um, in in the U.S. and in just overall, and there are a few other RDs that received the award along with me, and I'm very grateful for the honor to be part of this upward um, award. Well, I, I saw that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I was reading just kind of the the kind of the parameters for the award and all the other RDs that were also nominated. And I think you're well deserving of the work that you're doing and the passion that you carry and how you're 
how hopefully this podcast will reach out as well to other dietitians to get them thinking a little bit more about how important it is for them to learn and advocate and be part of the policy spectrum of our of our profession. Yes, I think, um, like I said, RDs have a key role to play, and I don't think it's been uh, tapped into yet, that potential that we have. So I'm excited for more RDs to be involved in, in the policy world and to make changes that aren't, you know, for a political party and that don't necessarily align with being conservative or liberal or progressive or independent. I think we need to move beyond those labels and to work together as nutrition professionals to, to advocate and to support health policies, food and nutrition policies that will improve the overall quality of life and health of our communities, because that's what our calling is as dietitians. It very much is. It, it very much is. That's kind of like the core, the root of our profession for sure. And that's like, should always be at the forefront. And I think we need to do a better job of keeping it there. Exactly. I agree with you. And <laughs> so where do you kind of see, I feel like we'll have to have another podcast in the future. Cause I feel like you're like a mover, a shaker, and you're going to have lots of amazing opportunities in your lifetime as a dietitian. But what do you, if you think about what Alice wants to be when she grows up, <laughs> what would be the top notch thing that you would like to do? Oh, I have so many ideas and so many passions, as, as you can tell. Sometimes I need to I feel like I need to focus more, but it's okay if you have a lot of passions and interests. I think if, if you feel like you want to do them, go for it and pursue it. When I grow up, um, well, I see myself working. I still don't feel like I'm a grown up, but I know. <laughs> no. Um, I, I really do want to continue working in public health and nutrition, it's specifically food policy and nutrition policy. And I'm not sure, you know, what that will look like, but I do hope that I am able to in some way shape uh, the role of dietitians in, in the policy world. And I also hope to be able to uh, write in, you know, in, in the last, you know, several months, I've had the opportunity to start writing for uh, different publications. And that has been really rewarding for me. I am a book nerd and I love reading magazines and articles and all kinds of books. So for me, it is a dream to to expand my work into health journalism and wellness writing and to be able to create articles and content that is accessible to people from all walks of life so that, you know, you can have reputable science based and easy to digest articles that will inform the public about how to pursue a healthier lifestyle that nourishes their overall well-being and their enjoyment of food. I think that's that's something that I see myself doing. And um, 
And I, I do have a, a small private practice and I, I enjoy working with a few clients and I, I want to continue doing that. To me, working with a client one-on-one also helps me feel connected and it reminds me of how much I enjoy to I enjoy communicating with clients and to uh, provide and providing them with the support that they need to reach their health goals. So that's something that I'm really passionate about, especially with um, uh, I, I really enjoy supporting clients that have chronic health conditions like heart disease or who suffer from IBS or other digestive health system uh, issues. That's something that's really um, close to my heart because I actually suffer from IBS and chronic gastritis. So in the, you know, in the future, I would hope to be able to connect with more clients too on that and to be able to, to serve them and to um, provide them support as they heal or manage their their digestive condition and um, and other chronic conditions. There's so many layers to you. I like how you balance things out though that way. Like you're you still stay connected with that client connection, and you're doing all the things that you like to do with policy. And I I think that's great that you have so many different avenues to keep you going. Thank you. Thank you. You're I, busy though. <laughs> You're kind of busy. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And that's something that I need to work on personally, just finding a little more work and um, life balance mm-hmm. and finding more time just to rest and to take vacations and yeah. to do things like that. Those are things that I, I haven't made the time for since since my last sabbatical (laughs) three years ago i haven't sabbaticals (laughs) yeah so yeah i need to do that more often but i haven't taken a real vacation since then so those are things that i need to work on because you know that's something that we all need to work on Mm -hmm. making sure that we're taking care of ourselves too always about that work-life balance it's very yes Well, I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. I'm so excited to learn about you and what you're doing. It's absolutely amazing. And I know that there will be some dietitians that are listening to this podcast that will be inspired by you. And you won't know it, but they'll probably do something that you inspired them to do. So thank you for sharing all that. Thank you, Anne. And I I look forward to learning more about your journey, too, and hearing more of your guests talk about their experience in dietetics. And of course, if you ever have a question or anything for anyone listening, feel free to email me or reach out to me through social media. I think that one thing that we can all do is serve as guidance or mentor or just to answer uh, a question for someone who's just starting out I think is is so uh, such a powerful thing to do for for the dietetics community and you know I always love to take questions um, or to to helping any way I can if you if you if there are any dietetic um, pr- professionals that want to reach out well, I'll definitely include all your contact information too in the show notes that they can reach out. I hope they do. I hope someone does along the way for sure. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. I have a few more questions for you as we end our podcast today. I always end with my top five questions. You'll have to share with me some foods that you enjoy. Ooh, I like this round of questions. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love to hear what other people like and enjoy, but I like pizza all day, every day. I, I could eat it all the time. <laughs> and donuts. I know that, you know, dietitians should have <laughs> healthier choices, but no, I, I believe dietitians are free to eat whatever they want anytime they want. So I, I like pizza and donuts, but I also like ethnic food. And by ethnic food, I mean from, from my heritage. So I love sweet plantain and black mm -hmm. beans and guacamole, pico de gallo. And I'm a big baker. Are you? I, yes, I love to bake. And I'm obsessed with the great British baking show. <laughs> so all be good. You know, if it's something bake, I'll try it. And in and, your free time. And all the yes. great you have. <laughs> yes. And I know I'm the type of person who will bake muffins, you know, at like 1030 or 11 p.m. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like almost 1 a.m. and I'm still cleaning up. So I did that last night and then I freak out because I'm going to be tired in the morning. But I do that very often. It's therapeutic yeah. for you. It is therapeutic. <laughs> And I love to eat anything too um, that is uh, plant based. Meaning, like I like to try to make comfort foods that are veganized or plant based. And I, I'm actually a natural food chef, so a lot of uh, my passion for natural foods was to learn how to cook foods that were still rich but that people who were lactose intolerant could eat or the people that had celiac could eat. So I like to play around with different types of ingredients so that I can make, you know, maybe a dairy free, um, you know, mac and cheese that mm. is still rich and tasty and has umami. So I like to play around with recipes like that and I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Another layer. I'm just finding out more layers about Alice. <laughs> Uh, what's some beverages that you enjoy? I love uh, a good cup of coffee and matcha. Mm -hmm. And I don't get to drink them often because I, I did suffer from chronic gastritis and have IBS. But when I do indulge, I, it has to be a good cup of uh, coffee and matcha. And I also enjoy... Nat natural agua frescas. Um, that's what we call it in, in Latin America. It, it's, it translates to fresh waters and they're made in Latin America with uh, tamarind or rosa jamaica, which is hibiscus tea mm. um, or horchata, which is a, a rice drink. It's kind of like a rice milk with cinnamon. And there's something called fresco de pepitoria, which is Made from pumpkin seeds. So you ro roast pumpkin seeds and then add uh, cinnamon to it. So it's mostly like a pumpkin seed milk. And in, in Latin America, people drink that all the time. So those are my favorite. Yeah. Anything with cinnamon. 
I'm in. I love yes. cinnamon. <laughs> I love cinnamon too. There's some people that don't like cinnamon. I have a lot of friends that don't. Really? Aww. Yeah, I always think That's it's strange. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, you're weird. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite color or colors? I love anything that is ocean color, like blue or that deep greenish blue. Mm. Any of those colors I love. I used to like pink, but then apparently when you have a, a big change in life, I've heard that your color preferences can change. Really? So some something happened along the way and then I no, no more pink for me. <laughs> Dang. There, there, that's, you'll have to write about that sometime. Maybe you'll have to dig deeper into that a little bit. Yes. That would be a good journaling exercise. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to put some thought into that too. Because I used to love, I mean, I still kind of like pink, but I used to love pink. Like it was, I couldn't wear it enough. I My room was pink. Mm-hmm. Everything was pink. And now I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about all this pink. I still like hot pink some in some places, but not as much as I did. So <laughs> yeah. We might have to get back on each other on our, our pink journaling. Um, do you have a favorite scent or smell I love just the smell of a fresh lime when you squeeze it Mm -hmm. and citrus zest that's one of my favorite and anything that's baking I really love of course (laughs) and you know if, if you're a bread maker bread makers will understand when you activate yeast there's a smell that that it produces and it's so interesting and comforting and i that's one of my favorite smells just activated yeast so interesting Interesting. (laughs) and what brings you joy in life Um, what brings me joy in life are the simple little things i think you know growing up I always wanted to do big things. Like I wanted to move to a bigger city. I grew up in New Orleans, but I <laughs> dreamt of moving to New York since I was, you know, very young and traveling a lot. And I wanted to go to Paris and Berlin and, you know, Hong Kong. I wanted to do all these very exotic things. <laughs> but now that I'm older and that I've had a chance to travel, I find the joy and joy in the little things in life. So for me, it's just spending time with my cats, um, oh. Gandalf and Canelito. Oh. So I rescued them in the last year, actually, both of them. So that's just very therapeutic for me. I love uh, bookstores and cookbooks. I can just sit down with a cookbook and read it. And for me, that's very therapeutic. And just taking a walk, especially after work, I find to be very healing or a bike ride and cooking and baking and eating a delicious meal. I find that to be very healing and I like it when I'm not rushed for time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a different feeling because so it can be stressful when you're in the middle of the week and you just want to get things done. But when you find some space in your day where you don't have to rush or feel like you're going anywhere. I think that's where a lot of, you know, the joy of of life is found and just finding space for yourself and 
you know, having the time to take a deep breath. I think that's very joyful to me too. That's right. That's very lovely because you're right. There is a special feeling you get when you don't have to rush and be somewhere and just enjoy the, the space that you're in at the time that you're in. Yes, I think that's that's where happiness is. I I think personally for me and I think especially in our current society, you know, with social media and Instagram and then you see people, you know, posting pictures of their wonderful vacations or you know, very exotic places they're going or really fancy restaurants that they're going to um, maybe some people are uh, compelled to feel inadequate or to feel like their lives are not good enough. But, you know, I think that those are just screen and mirrors and filters that people put out about their life. You know, the real joy in life is just in, in everyday life and the little moments that you have with your family or with your pets or with a friend or even by yourself. And I think we can be happy in any stage of our life, but we just need to remind ourselves to feel the joy and happiness that's already inside of us. I think that's so true. That's exactly how I feel about that. That is perfectly said. (laughs) Yes. I think, you know, it takes a long time to get there. It does. You know, especially if you're younger, you might still be struggling with wanting a lot, but once you get older, you, you realize that sometimes just the comfort of home and simple things is, is very enjoyable and joyful. I would agree with you. Such why you're so wise, Alice. Thank you. For <laughs> Thank you for sharing that insight. Thank you for sharing everything today. I very much appreciate your time and I look forward to all the things that you're going to do and, and all the things that will change in your life that you'll share with all of us. Thank you so much. It was um, so great to get to connect with you and to have this amazing conversation. And thank you for all the work you do to connect registered dietitians across the world. We really appreciate it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. So thanks, Alice. Thank you. Alice is so refreshing and down to earth and I just want to sit and have dinner with her for hours because I think there is so much I could learn from her and I loved how she reminded me how policy is very important in our profession. I was always scared of advocacy as a dietitian and once I participated in the Academy's public policy workshop, I realized that it's truly the root of most of our work as dietitians. If you have any interest in policy, I highly recommend you reach out to Alice. She's so open to questions and conversations. So I included her contact and information in the show notes. She will not only guide you, but she will inspire you. My website, annelizabethardy.com, is where you can read my latest Embrace the Hell Yeah blog post, as well as all my previous podcast show notes and links to things we talked about during all my conversations with these great nutrition experts. My book is also available for purchase on my website, and I hope we can connect more on social media. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at Anne Elizabeth RD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.